but uh, I got to know Nate a little at conferences, and we share some mutual friends, including uh, Pastor Kevin Williams at Meadowlands, who many of you know. And uh, so when uh, Nate was sick, he called and said, hey, could you fill in short notice? Uh, so I'm happy to be here and happy to help out. I do hear that Nate and family are doing a little better, and uh, we're thankful for that. So I trust we'll be back uh, next week. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 4 this morning. And if you'll turn in your Bibles there with me, it is always uh, a bit of a challenge to uh, Bible-knowledgeable people to preach on a favorite passage of Scripture. And uh, I'm going to ask you, as you turn to Philippians 4, uh, to uh, help me with my introduction, not by speaking, but by thinking and considering and reflecting. Take a moment to think about a Christian in your life, either in your past or currently, that you look up to as an example. Think about a Christian that encourages you or has encouraged you in your faith, in how they live their life. How would you describe their qualities? What is it about them that makes them admirable? Someone that you look up to and want to be like. For most of us, I think in our descriptions, we would have the words joyful and gentle as a part of the description. There are probably people that treasure God's word and pursue God's goodness, but they do so in a way that leaves peace in their wake and not strife, tension, or conflict. Joy and gentleness and faithfulness and other fruit of the Spirit, like love and patience, leave an impression. And did you notice that those fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 all relate to our relationships with other people? These things are qualities from God, and they are worth pursuing and imitating in the lives of people that we meet in the church. These things are supernatural. The Gospel of Jesus Christ teaches us that to be a Christian is at its foundational root. To receive God's peace, reconciliation with the Holy God as sinners, and that's the greatest miracle of all. We who are by nature God's enemies must have peace with God in order to bear the rest of the fruit of the Spirit whom God gives to those who trust in Jesus Christ. God does not just tell us to be at peace. His peace is a gift of grace. He is the God of peace, making peace with His enemies by the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Now, just before I read these verses, these familiar verses from Philippians 4, let me present to you an image of a tree. A tree with its roots and its trunk and its branches and the fruit on the end of those branches. Now, I'm going to suggest to you 
that the Apostle Paul is presenting us an image of a tree and he begins with the fruit and then he talks about the branches and lastly he talks about the root. So look for that as we read through this passage. Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. First of all, we're going to look at the fruit of peace, verses 4 and 5. The first fruit of peace that the Apostle Paul calls out in our passage is joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And to emphasize it, he says, I will say it again, rejoice. God commands us to be joyful. I could point, point to many passages beyond Philippians 4, uh, where we see God's command to joy for his people. Uh, Psalm 100 begins, shout for joy to the Lord all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before Him with joyful songs. Now, if you haven't considered it before, uh, we should all consider it. How can God command joy? Isn't joy an emotion? Isn't it a response to the circumstances in our life? Isn't that what joy is? Well, if God commands it, it's got to be more than that. Rejoice is a command, but joy is also a gift of God, or more narrowly, a response to God in His character and His works. Joy is a part of the fruit of the Spirit. True joy comes from a conviction that God is sovereign and that He is good. All will be well because He is our God. And he is the one true God. Philippians is a letter full of joy, depending how you count 12 to 14 times in four chapters. The Apostle Paul mentions joy. And you may have noticed he was in prison, not out doing the church-to-church -church ministry that he loved to do. And yet, in those four chapters, he speaks of joy. He says later in chapter 4 that he has learned in whatever situation to be content. And that is an aspect of joy, is contentment. For the Christian, our joy is not dependent upon what is happening to us or what is happening around us. Our joy is in the Lord. It is to be in the Lord. This is not a command to be happy, but a call to glory in Jesus our Redeemer and Lord. What is the effect of joy 
on your own heart? What is the effect of joy on those around you? Am I right in saying that the people that you look up to and admire in your Christian life are marked, characterized by joy? Joy is a great testimony, particularly a steady joy in difficult circumstances. When we meet someone who is full of joy and they seem to have no good reason to be happy about anything, we notice and it stands out. This isn't in my notes and I don't normally call out individuals in the church, but I remember one time a couple of years ago that uh, uh, Jeff Matichuk, who's back there, who's at our church in, in, in Edmonton, uh, said, what's the best thing that's happened to you this week? And it really caught me off guard. Jeff's good at that. If you get to know him, you'll find out. And it convicted me and it bugged me for a couple of days that I thought, I didn't have anything ready to answer. I think I was in a state of kind of grumbling and complaining for a few days and hadn't really noticed and slipped into that. But joy is a great testimony. And it's where we should be living as believers. Another fruit that comes from God's work is what is translated, the English Standard Version that I'm using, reasonableness. I must admit I like the old gentleness better as a translation, although reasonableness is a good translation of the word. To be reasonable is to have a quiet spirit, one who is quick to listen and slow to speak. This reasonableness is not just being a mild-mannered or nice person. James captures this spirit of gentleness well in James 3. If you're taking notes, this is James 3, 17. James writes, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. All of those words describe this kind of reasonableness, this gentleness. And yes, James uses the same word in the original for gentleness as is translated here, reasonableness, in Philippians 4. Note that Paul gives these commands to joy and gentleness right after he calls out a conflict in the church at Philippi. Look at the beginning of Philippians chapter 4 and verse 2. He says, I treat, entreat Yodia and I treat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. When we have joy in the Lord, we have unity with other believers in the gospel and we'll be better at keeping the main thing the main thing. This will lead to gentleness. Remember the God of peace who brought you together as a church. Our unity is found in the peace with God purchased for us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Sin is our common denominator and grace and peace are our family ties. If we receive forgiveness and righteousness, the forgiveness and righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, from God through faith in Christ, we're no longer at war with God and, and 
God is no longer our enemy. And if God is no longer our enemy, why would another believer in our church be an enemy? Joy and gentleness with one another is the antidote to the poison of conflict. But how do we get it? If you follow the logic of the passage, the joy and reasonableness is the fruit, not the root. The salvation of God is the root. Specifically, the person and work of Jesus Christ is the root. If we're tempted to be harsh with someone or dismissive in a disagreement, we must ask, is my response a reflection of the truth of the gospel? Does what's coming out of me right now line up with the promise of Christ in me? The commands rejoice and let your reasonableness be known to everyone won't work if they're outside in. They must come from the inside out, from God's work of the Holy Spirit in us. And that humbles us. Paul says, let your reasonableness be known to all. The Lord is at hand. God's in charge, He's sovereign, He is with us. Now, there are two sides to the promise that the Lord is at hand. The first one we should think of is that the Lord is coming. He is coming imminently. And we need to be ready. The Lord is at hand. Therefore, let your gentleness be evident to all and rejoice in the Lord. He will, re he will reward those who are waiting for Him in faith and He will punish those who are evil and unbelieving. But the second aspect, the first aspect is the Lord is coming, but the second aspect is that the Lord is with us. And we might even remember the Great com Commission. Jesus said, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to all who would believe in him. So that even though he was in his physical body, leaving, ascending to the right hand of the Father, that God is with us in the person of the Holy Spirit, who is one with the Father and the Son. Joy and gentleness are identity issues then. We know we are the Lord's. I am His and He is mine. And we know that He will reward those who are waiting for Him in faith. Simple illustration. Imagine the, the boss's son shows up at, the, at work at the warehouse on the first day. The boss is also the owner of the company. But a new manager doesn't know who this kid is. He insults him and treats him badly because he's been having a bad week. But the son patiently endures. He knows who he is. He knows his father is near and he will sort things out and bring him justice and vindication. That's the attitude we are to have and that's how we can have joy and gentleness in a world that so often opposes us and when so many things seem to go wrong all the time. If we're worried, if we're anxious, we need to go back to our core identity. If we're trusting in the sovereign creator of the universe and we've been adopted into his family by the finished work of the Son of God, then we're going to be justified and vindicated no matter what the world thinks and no matter what the world does to us. The Lord is near. He will sort out our conflicts with other Christians so we can be cool about them too. 
We must be conscious that other people are watching us, but we must be more aware that God is with us. One thing I noticed when I was studying this passage is when it says, let your gentleness be known to all. Paul follows it up with, let your requests be known to God. What must be made known to everyone around us? Joy and gentleness. What must be known, made known to God? Our anxieties, our, our cares, our prayers, our thanksgiving. I've been talking about the tree producing fruit because of the quality of the root. That's a common biblical metaphor. The tree planted by the river bears good fruit. But let me throw another metaphor, another figure of speech at you. It's not biblical, but it's just another angle looking at the same thing. The face of a transformed life, the fruit that we're talking about in this passage, is the tip of the iceberg. Time with God in genuine prayer and study and worship is the iceberg, unseen under the surface. But the bigger the iceberg gets under the water, the more of it is visible above the water. So if you want to increase your effectiveness of Christian witness at work or school with your, or with your unbelieving family members, the place to start is the Christian disciplines. Of, of prayer and, and private worship, reading the Word of God. We may want to be known for joy and peace and the other fruit of the Spirit, but we won't grow in these things by just claiming them. We need to spend the out-of-sight time growing the iceberg, if you follow the illustration. We can't support the joy and gentleness without the greater things under the surface. We don't start with the public face. We must start with the private disciplines. And, and that leads us to our second point this morning. The disciplines of peace. The disciplines of peace. I think one reason that, that people are drawn to this passage is, is that instruction, do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Are you anxious? Are you prone to anxiety? Do you want to worry thing about things less? Join the club. I think that's a lot of us here and everywhere in our culture. This is a blessed promise. But there are some disciplines baked into this process. When anxiety comes, we feel out of control. And it just comes, doesn't it? It bubbles up. And sometimes we can't feel like we can't do anything about it. But do we really believe that God is good? That He's working good for us, for His glory? We might know that in our minds, but do we believe that in our hearts? Anxiety is banished when we trust that God is near, that He is with us, and that He knows what He is doing. How can we believe that God is near when sometimes He feels so far away? How can we fight anxiety when bad things really are happening?
to us or around us. We might confess God is good, but when we look at the evidence of our lives, sometimes we're tempted to question God's goodness. How can we grow the iceberg of faith under the water when we're filled with doubts and worries? Well, the answer is right here in the passage, isn't it? Do not be anxious, but pray. Prayer is the antidote to the poison of worry. God knows what we need before we ask Him. But He wants to hear our requests anyway. Because God is a person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The three persons of our one God. God knows what we need before we ask Him, but He wants to hear our prayers. Paul lists prayer, supplication, requests. We worship God as we pray. We, we ask for others. We pray for ourselves. Prayers are just asking God for things. It's coming to God with everything. Prayer is a discipline, but it's a great privilege. Leave the smallest thing in His care because He does care for you. You will find that your worry goes down as your prayers go up. But we pray not only for ourselves, we pray for others, our, in our family, our church, around the world. When we pray for others, we begin to gain a bigger perspective. We see the world more from God's perspective when we pray. Being other-centered in prayer reduces our anxiety as well because we can so easily get on the hamster wheel. Even when we're praying, if we're just praying of ourselves, we go over and over and over, round and round, the same things. But when we discipline ourselves to pray for others, my wife pointed out a voice of the martyrs prayer request to pray for the persecuted Christians in China during the Beijing Olympics. What a great idea, a memory aid to help us to pray. But when we pray for others, pray for other believers around the world, and pray for those who do not yet know Christ to know Him, our worry will go down because our focus isn't so much on ourselves. God doesn't promise that He'll answer all our prayers according to our desires. Far from it. He'll sometimes say no. He knows better than we do. God does promise peace, though, when we leave our requests and our anxieties with Him. Paul says that our prayers must be with thanksgiving. So prayer is one of the disciplines, but thanksgiving is one of these disciplines as well that, that, that supports the fruit of this tree in its trunk and branches. Thanksgiving is one of the often overlooked disciplines of the Christian life. Our prayers must be interwoven with thanksgiving. Giving thanks in prayer guides and shapes our prayers to align with God's goodness and providence. Thanksgiving is an expression of faith in God's promises. We see in the Bible and even in our own history that God uses even the hardest things to do His good work. Even when our enemies intend evil, God turns that to good. So are you worried? That's a call to prayer. Even as we settle into prayer, our, our minds might be hijacked by worry and we might not know what to say even when we set our time aside time for prayer. And there are times of a particular grief and just intense suffering in our lives where the words won't come. 
but then ask others to pray for you. And know that you are carried not only by the prayers of others, but by the intercession of the Holy Spirit and by the intercession of our Lord Jesus Christ himself before the Father's throne. But normally when we're distracted, there are some things we can do to help. Uh, pray scripture. Pray through the Psalms. Just take a phrase and, and turn that into a prayer and apply it to a situation. Pray the prayers of Paul in his letters. Pray the prayers of Jesus. Uh, read and pray through collections of prayers that have been written throughout church history, and there are many good ones. Pray continually. Invite God into your in everyday activities. He is near. He is with us. And we can do those short little help or thank you prayers throughout the day continually. But also set aside a time and place and ask God to help you to concentrate. That might mean being intentional and developing habits and lists as we pray. Uh, that, can, that can help to have disciplined prayer. The wonderful thing about beginning our life of Christian discipline with prayer is that it is an expression of our weakness. Have you thought of that? Uh, we, we know about little ones. There are a lot of little ones in this church, and that's wonderful. That's tremendous. But, but the, the three or four-year-old that goes, and do it myself. And aren't we like that? We want to do it ourselves. But as soon as we pray, we're admitting, God, I can't do it myself. I am weak, but you are strong. We're utterly dependent upon God, and prayer is when we admit that. Sometimes when we talk about the spiritual disciplines, we feel guilty about all the unfinished things that we need to do, all the performance that we haven't performed last week. But prayer is different. It's hard work, yes. But it is pleading for God's power and presence. And if we pray, we'll be more conscious of God's mercy and grace in our weakness. The next discipline, our last discipline here in this point, is taking charge of our thoughts. So we have prayer, we have thanksgiving, and we have this incredible verse, verse 8, that talks about wisdom or our thoughts. Finally, brothers, this is 4.8, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. This verse should remind us of Romans 12, 1 and 2, which says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The disciplines of the Christian life include taking hold of our thoughts, renewing our minds. Are we transformed by God's truth? If we're transformed by God's truth in His Word, we will know Him more and more. Our unbelieving world says that the key to beating anxiety is emptying our minds, banishing negative thoughts and energy. Well, that's pagan. It's not Christian. Christians fill their minds with God's truth from God's Word. 
When we push away our, our worry, our grief, our hurts, we, we are guilty of suppressing the truth. Christians must be people who look reality square in the eye. And sometimes before we look at what is excellent and good and true and pure, we have to confess to God all the things that are the opposite of that. We can realistically look at trouble and face the future with hope because of the victory of Jesus Christ. Christians should be the most pessimistic people and the most optimistic people in the world at the same time. We're pessimistic about human ability and pride. We know about sin, the fall, and the ongoing curse in the world. But on the other hand, we are the most optimistic because we know the end of the story and we know the victory of our mighty Savior. Jesus said in John 16, 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. When he said that, Jesus had just told his disciples that they would run away at his greatest hour of need. But he did not rebuke them. He encouraged them with the promise of his peace. They couldn't hold on to him, but he would hold on to them. Having a peace that passes understanding means we know how bad things are, but we can face them with supernatural peace. We must learn to be content and we must learn to trust Jesus, our champion, more and more. Our spiritual and mental health will suffer if we never let down our guard, never admit our weakness, and never confess our sin to God and one another. Our right thinking must begin with this kind of humility. So, what are you thinking about, generally speaking? Like when your head hits the pillow at night. What do you fret about? What are you anxious about? What are you passionate about? Do these things line up with Philippians 4.8? Paul has several things that we're to think about, and we won't take the time to unpack all of this this morning, but we might summarize what he says by calling these meditations truth and beauty and goodness. These are classic categories for developing the Christian mind, truth and beauty and goodness. One of the practical ways of meditating on what is good is, is grace spotting in our lives. I love that expression, grace spotting, being intentional about seeing God's grace in our lives and in the lives of those around us. Look for good things that God has given and that God is doing all around us. Share testimonies. Yes, absolutely, the testimony about how God first got a hold of you and when you first trusted Christ, but testimonies of good things that God is doing now in your life and in the lives of those that you love. These positive things are all around us if we have eyes to see. We're back to rejoice and be thankful again here. Paul doesn't move on from those things as he continues through these verses. Godly thinking in a sin-filled world will require self-denial and death to self. Paul says at the end of Galatians, the world crucified to me and I to the world. This is the path to joy and healthy relationships with others. This is the way to contentment and peace. Now this one stings me. The preacher is preaching to the preacher again. Worry, 
fault-finding, complaining, and grumpiness, they're all easy. They're really easy. I don't know about you, but they come very naturally to me. And it's kind of the path of least resistance, just kind of where I drift. Worry, fault-finding, complaining, grumpiness. But these things are essentially selfish. They provide the business model for the news industry and the fuel for social media, if you haven't noticed. It takes discipline to fill up on truth and beauty and goodness. If we find grace and beauty around us, if we're encouraging and overflowing with thankfulness and joy, we will stand out in our cynical and complaining age. The discipline of our minds follows the law, garbage in, garbage out. The other side is true, excellence and beauty in, excellence and beauty out. Now, our hearts may distort even good things. We can't take this principle on its own, but how do we discern what is true and noble and right and pure and lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy? What we feed on, what we look at through the week will, will develop and cultivate our appetites, our intellectual appetites. And we need to learn to cultivate a better palate, a better taste. What is true? Well, Jesus said to his Father, your word is truth. And, speaking of the disciples, sanctify them by your truth. Honorable, the things that stand the test of time. Just or right, Things that line up with reality, not the hot takes of our internet age. Pure. Jesus warned us that when we break the commandments, even with our thoughts and our attitudes and our speech, we are not pure. What pleases God and what serves our neighbor? Being pure is to remember that we are to be holy as God is holy. Lovely. I'm glad he included this one. Take time to smell the roses. Enjoy God's creation. Breathe God's beauty deeply. Celebrate it when you see it. Commendable or excellent, praiseworthy. Can I commend to you music and poetry and, and even reading good fiction? Bird singing. Rain on the roof, walks on a sunny day. These are the kind of things that will remind us to be thankful and to rejoice in God. And they will cultivate a, a whole person health. The key thing is what controls our assessment of what is true and good. Where do we find wisdom and truth and beauty and goodness? We must submit to God's standard revealed in His Word. First and foremost, our tastes, our desires, our affections must be trained by what God calls good and true and beautiful. We've looked at the fruit of the Christian life, joy and gentleness. We've looked at the branches and the support of the fruit, the, the disciplines of prayer and gentleness and a well-ordered mind. Now we're going to look at the root, or better, the source of life for the tree that is our life. The God of peace. This is point number three, the God of peace, verses seven and nine. We see the God of peace in verse seven, sorry, in verse nine. 
What you have learned and received and heard from me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Back in verse 7, Paul said, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. It may sound super obvious, but we get the peace of God from the God of peace. But when we're talking about the fruit, which is the the things that we express and exhibit in our Christian lives, and we're talking about the, the branches, which are the disciplines of the Christian life, we can run the danger of forgetting about the roots and be so focused on our performance and what we do that we forget to cultivate that relationship with God Himself. If we think Christianity is all about what we do, we'll miss God. If we only focus on the fruit and branches, we'll end up with a dead tree. It's the root that supports, supports and nourishes the tree. We plant and water, but God is the one who gives life and increase. If we're distracted with our Christian duties and disciplines, we run the danger of being merely religious. Religion's not a bad thing, biblically defined. But being merely religious is Phariseeism. We dare not just look at the byproducts of Christianity. We must find our life in God Himself. In his little essay, Meditation in a Tool Shed, C.S. Lewis tells the story of walking out into his garden to a rickety old shed on a summer's day. And he opened the door and the first thing that caught his attention was all the dust in a beam of light coming into the shed. That's what he saw. He saw dust in a beam of light. But he said everything changed when he walked into the shed and he looked up through the hole through which the light was coming and he saw the trees and the sky and the clouds and the sun beyond. He calls that the difference between looking at and looking through. The disciplines of the Christian life are for a purpose. They're not so we can get our little Christian performance medals and be commended by others. The disciplines of the Christian life are there so that we can know and enjoy God Himself. That's the difference between looking at and looking along. As we think about God, and particularly the person and work of our Lord Jesus Christ, we'll look at everything and everyone else differently. If we think we have a right to be irritated and impatient with stupid and inconsistent people, what must God think of us? But while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Remember those disciples who ran away from Jesus the night he was arrested? Jesus returned to them after he rose from the dead. He did not scold them. He did not reject them. Instead, he gave them his blessing of peace. We read in John 20, verses 19 and 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. 
The peace of God comes to us through the scars of Jesus. We must never forget that. If we're anxious, it's because we don't yet understand that the gospel applies to every area of life. And yes, the preacher is preaching to the preacher again. As we grow in the grace of Christ, the problems and worries of this life shrink to their proper perspective. We only have peace with God because Jesus died to purchase our forgiveness and we're empowered for eternal life only because Jesus rose bodily from the dead, defeating sin and death once and for all. We're in this victory by grace through faith. One of my favorite benedictions to end the service is found in Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, 20 and 21 says, Now may the God of peace who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. I should have just preached those verses. It's all there. The root and the disciplines that come from God's work in us because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's our source of peace and life, and God is the one who works in us by His power that we receive from the root. The God of peace is the God of resurrection power. Peace is shalom, that, that Hebrew word. It's more than an absence of conflict, though that's part of it. it it's a whole person well-being, and God gives that supernatural peace to us that is beyond our ability to create. He gives us contentment in the midst of the storm. He takes away our fears and enables us to love even our enemies. In Philippians 4, 7, the Apostle Paul promises that the peace of God will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard, that word is, is like a military garrison, a, a ring of well-armed soldiers encamping around us. Think Psalm 91, for those who know. This protection is better than an army. Our God is our guard of peace who is with us. Last verse, 4-9. Paul says, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. It's from that verse I got the idea from my introduction. Who do you admire? Who do you want to imitate? Who do you want to be like? Paul says, imitate me. Follow me. As we grow as disciples of Christ, do we have the courage to say to those that are coming along behind us that aren't as mature, imitate me as I imitate Christ? That's a scary prospect. What did the Philippian Christians receive from Paul? They received the gospel. They received the word of God. The word of life. What do we receive from Paul? The exact same thing. The, the, this is the deposit, the tradition that is handed down to us from Jesus and his apostles. What has Paul been learning himself? 
Well, he tells us later that he's learning to be content in all circumstances. In chapter 3, we see him admit that he hasn't yet arrived. He was a model, but a growing imperfect model. Our hope is in Jesus Christ and in His glorious future. We're getting to the very end of the sermon here. But look back with me to Philippians chapter 3. Just over the page to Philippians 3 and what Paul says here. This is something we should cling to as Paul did. Philippians 3.20 But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject, even to subject all things to Himself. This passage is a wonderful antidote to worry and fear and restlessness. Are you seeking peace and contentment? Is life overwhelming for you right now? So tempting to think, maybe I'm being punished. No. Look to the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ has taken all the punishment that our sins deserve there. We're forgiven. We're safe. Maybe we're tempted to think when God seems far away, maybe He doesn't care about me. Again, look to the cross. That's how much God cares about you and me. God's love is expressed most clearly at the cross. It's where God made peace with everyone who will believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that's everyone here today, but if not, believe and receive the Lord Jesus Christ today. And if you do, or if you're struggling with that or convicted about that, talk to somebody before you leave here this morning. We'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. We will not get the fruit without the disciplines, but we will not practice the disciplines without knowing God and experiencing the peace that comes from Him. The good news is that we are welcomed and even adopted by the God of peace into His family by grace through faith as a gift. We simply need to believe and receive. Christ has come and He holds His arms open wide to everyone to welcome those who will believe. Root, tree, and fruit. We've looked at the tree from the top to bottom. The fruit is joy and gentleness. The disciplines, prayer and wisdom. And the root is the God of peace himself. Jesus Christ is our life. He's not one component in our Christian discipleship. He is everything. Boast in the cross of Christ. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this wonderful passage of scripture. And Lord, it's, it's one that even the Apostle Paul would have said that he's not mastered yet. But Lord, give us hope that we will grow in this grace and this peace and these fruits of the Spirit because you are at work in your people. But Father, help us to long and look for that day when we will be made like Jesus, for we shall see him as he is. Oh Lord, let us live with eternity and eternity's values in view through Jesus Christ our Lord. In his name that we pray. Amen.